Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Melody Musgrove and Dr. Kathy Grace with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Today, we are so happy to have Cindy Oser, who is a well-respected national leader in the field of early childhood development and recognized for her work in comprehensive birth through five service delivery systems, maternal child health, infant and early childhood mental health, and early intervention, and federal and state early childhood policy. She has nearly 40 years of experience focused on improving health and developmental outcomes for young children and families through legislative, regulatory, budget, and policy change. Whew, that's a mouthful. So to boil it down, Cindy, what do you do every day? (laughs) That is a mouthful, and it always makes me feel so old. But I like to think that I've brought all that experience with me and can share it with everyone that I talk to. So basically what I do now, I work for a national nonprofit organization. I work for Zero to Three. And so most of my work is talking with people to make sure that everyone who touches the life of a child understands the importance of early relationships and early experiences. And so on any given day, I might be talking to a grant maker, um, a state agency person, an elected official. You know, I've, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've talked to judges and someone from an attorney general's office and a Medicaid director. And, you know, all of that is to make sure that because I work in the policy arena, my job is to make sure that policies, public policies, match what we know is best for babies, toddlers, and families. Given that focus, I have to ask, what interested you in the field of infants and toddlers, and particularly in the the field of mental health around infants and toddlers? Yeah, it's sort of a winding road. I started out as a nurse, and I always worked in pediatrics. But very quickly, I became interested in children with disabilities, and I very often worked with children who had pretty severe disabilities. And I went back to graduate school to learn a little bit more and uh, learned about John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth and their work in attachment. And I started to think about, you know, how it was that children with, even children with severe disabilities could do so well. And other children who had less severe disabilities didn't seem to do very well. And that, uh, over time, kind of led me to the field of infant mental health, although I'm not even sure it was called that back then. But as I got more involved in sort of systems of work and public health, it seemed like there was always this missing piece that if we didn't include attention to getting children healthy in the area of their social and emotional development, that they were not going to do as well. They didn't, you know, when kids with disabilities got older, they uh, had a harder time making friends, you know, being cooperative, uh, curious, you know, being able to manage their own emotions. And now, you know, all of those things are what we consider really solid social and emotional skills. So I really came to the field through thinking about 
how was it that we could support children and families to do better despite whatever their social or genetic or biological condition. And for me, the missing piece turned out to be this infant early childhood mental health piece. Well, I know that people in the past have dismissed the notion that babies or or toddlers would even have such a thing as a, a mental health issue. But you recently led an international expert work group to produce the Diagnostic Classification of Mental Health and Developmental Disorders of Infancy and Early Childhood, which is, again, a mouthful. There is a way now for some diagnostic work to be done for early identification. Yes, sure. And I have to start by saying that, you know, that term mental health, people don't think about that in connection with babies. And in fact, most people, when they hear that term mental health, they jump immediately to mental illness. And that's a scary term, especially when you're thinking about little kids. And there's a stigma, even with adults who have mental illness, mental health disorders, there is a stigma. And so we constantly work to raise awareness about what that means. You know, the the bottom line for us was we wanted to make sure that everybody, again, who is involved in the life of little ones or families, understand that mental health disorders do occur in very young children and they can be identified and treated. And zero to three for the last 20 years, really, has been publishing this diagnostic manual uh, that we, for shorthand, because it's a really long title, but the most current edition is called DC 0 to 5, meaning this diagnostic classification for children from birth to five. And it outlines 42 different disorders that can occur in uh, infancy and early childhood. And these are disorders that can impair, significantly impair the way a child develops. So for instance, in the book, there is an excessive crying disorder. Well, you know, all babies, all young children, and even adults, everybody cries. That's one way we express emotion. But an excessive crying disorder is one that disrupts the child's development, it disrupts the family's functioning, and there are ways that we can intervene. So <clears throat> so there are some disorders that are described that are very unique to babies and toddlers. And then there are other disorders that um, uh, can occur in the general population but look very different in a baby. So, for instance, um, an autism spectrum disorder looks very different in a baby than it does in a 10-year-old. So, the book describes what mental health and developmental disorders look like in uh, babies and toddlers. So, that's one part of it. But another part of it is also very uh, important in the work that we do in early childhood, and that is that it reviews the relational context. In other words, you know, for babies, everything that they learn is happening through relationships with adults. And so, what the child and what the parent or other adult brings to that relationship has a lot to do with how the child learns and develops. So there's a whole section on the relational context. And then there are a lot of other pieces of information included in DC 0 to 5, like what's the cultural 
context of doing a diagnostic assessment on a baby. So, you know, it's a, it's a newish book. Uh, Zero to Three is doing a lot of training on it right now. We're also helping states figure out how to reflect that work in their Medicaid policies and their mental health policies and so on. And then there's just the general awareness pieces, as I said when I started that, that, you know, we continue to have to raise awareness about the presence of mental health disorders, that, you know, we diagnose those disorders, we don't label children, we diagnose the disorders. And it's now used, you know, in the United States, but it's also heavily used around the world. And we've got trainers that have been actively training mental health providers, pediatricians, social workers, you know, really anybody who is involved with young children. Well, it sounds like that this is a focused effort of zero to three to educate people in the field maybe more about this. Uh, I know my own experience in working with the medical field and uh, pediatricians, sometimes that can be a challenge because they're not, their training isn't necessarily around uh, what you can consider to be the whole child. Maybe they're more focused on just a illness that presents itself at the time. So it's good to know that the uh, health profession is also interested in, in, in picking up this information. One of the things that I wanted to lead into has to do with challenges. And you've touched on some of them, but what would you consider to be across the country challenges facing uh, early childhood educators that have an interest in mental health uh, in how they can bring about more attention to special services or uh, just general information for the public. So as you say, there's not the stigma attached to it. Right. And I think that first of all is the recognition, you know, that if a, an infant toddler teacher is aware that behaviors that are way out of line with typical child development um, if if that teacher notices those behaviors, there's they've already taken a huge step in recognizing and calling attention to that. Um, if the parents come to them and say, you know, I'm worried about what I'm seeing or not seeing, is this normal? You know, the the child care provider can say, you know, you are the expert. Let's let's think about the way that you might want to talk to your pediatrician about this. So I think, you know, part of the challenge is just the recognition that behavior is something that, you know, we see in young children, whether it's a challenging behavior or not, you know, it there is a range of normal. And so part of it is being aware of what's typical for children and recognizing when it's no longer in that typical range. But I think the next challenge is that even if childcare and early educators are aware of a concern, there's such a scarcity of infant mental health providers that um, it's often difficult to know, you know, where to make a referral. And luckily, you know, many states now have infant mental health associations, um, infant mental health training programs in colleges and universities. And I think states have really stepped up their um, work in this area because of the attention on 
um, children being suspended or expelled from preschool. And so that was a wonderful opportunity in some ways to grow the field. And I, I think there's also a growing recognition of the impact of trauma on young children uh, witnessing violence in the community and even violence at home. But again, there's sort of a, a, a dearth of information about, well, what can we do about it and how can we promote uh, really strong, healthy social and emotional development? So I think the scarcity of providers and the lack of recognition is, is those are our two biggest challenges. Well, if you had two things that you'd want to share with the general public uh, around the issues related to the mental health of our youngest children and the mental health of their parents, uh, what would be those two things? And also in the context of, and this is really a part B, uh, have you found or is there research that has anything to do with the uh, conditions that children find themselves as far as uh, the income level of the family or the uh, stability within the home, any of those things that are uh, not going to be automatically uh, a problem for children's mental health development, but are there certain things that sometimes uh, lend themselves to being, uh, I guess, red flags if people were going to be uh, trying to focus their efforts or their funding on a particular population of children? That's a big question, uh, or many questions. So I think on the, on the first part of that, you know, what can the general public do to get more engaged in this? I always go back to, you know, my strength-based roots and say every one of us should be complimenting parents on the hard work they do. If you see a family out in the community, just, you know, stop and say, you are doing a great job. Um, because what we found in, in some of the polling work that we've done, parents are so guilt-ridden about not being a good enough parent, not, you know, choosing the perfect parenting style, and and they blame other parents for not doing a good enough job. So I think you know, we all should just take a minute to, um, you know, find the good work that parents do and compliment them on that work and support parents in, you know, any way, uh, whether it's, you know, can I push that grocery cart for you while you're um, trying to get out to the car with the stroller or whatever, you know, just uh, be supportive of parents, I think, is one of the best things that we can do. But I think this whole notion of being more aware of mental illness and its impact, if there's any way to reduce stigma, um, I think that's another excellent way for the general public to get involved in this. Um, and I think, too, you know, the, the election season is really heating up now. And I would say for anyone who is a voter, you know, ask candidates what they intend to do for babies and toddlers and families in their communities. And it could range from, you know, what are you doing to make our streets safer? What are you doing to create more parks and play spaces? Um, what are you doing about paid parental leave 
So I think just asking public officials and candidates who are running for office, you know, what are you going to do if you get elected to improve the status of our, our babies and toddlers and families? So I think your your other question was about, you know, what can we do with some of these seemingly intractable issues that, that we deal with? I know where I live, the um, opioid crisis has been really devastating for young children and families and unemployment is huge. And we even have a terrible problem with infant mortality. And I think it's creating a sense of urgency, raising awareness, and starting as far upstream as possible. If we had healthier births and healthier pregnancies, you know, that would help. But it's starting anywhere. I always tell people there's no one magic place to start. Start anywhere. And as I said, you know, start by praising parents for the hard work they do and just keep working on up to, uh, you know, asking political candidates what they plan to do. So does that, I hope that helps because it is, you know, there are many things that can be done. And um, I just say, everybody pick a place and get going. Well, we certainly appreciate your time this morning because you are a busy lady and you have a massive responsibility in trying to speak for young children and their families, which you have done in a great way today. So we thank you again, Cindy, and uh, wish you the best in all the work you continue to do with Zero to Three and in the other capacities in which you are, are serving. And our children and families are the better for the work that you're doing. So thank you again for being with us today. Well, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Now it's time for our lit bit, a piece of literature, a poem that you can read to your child and let them learn. Uh, and today we're going to have a Thanksgiving poem by Rowena Bennett. It's a poem that I learned when I was a little girl. And it's If I Were a Pilgrim Child. If I were a pilgrim child, dressed in white or gray, I should catch my turkey wild for Thanksgiving Day. I should pick my cranberries fresh from out of bog and make a table of a stump and sit upon a log. An Indian would be my guest and wear a crimson feather, and we would clasp our hands and say Thanksgiving grace together. But I was born in modern times and shall not have this joy. My cranberries will be delivered by the grocery boy. My turkey will be served upon a shining silver platter. It will not taste as wild game taste, though it will be much fatter. And oh, of all the guests that come, not one of them will wear moccasins upon his feet or feathers in his hair. Give your child the gift of literature through poems. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. We're always interested in stories about children and those who care for them. If you'd like to share your story, email us at edsup at olemiss.edu. Until next time, bye-bye. Ed's Up is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity. 